0: Welcome to the Restore Church Sermons podcast. We're so glad you joined us here today. We hope that through this message you are encouraged, challenged, and strengthened. If you want to know more about Jesus, Restore Church, or have any questions, please head to restorechurch.com.au. Well, this morning I'm going to be looking and talking about the practice of freedom. And the issue I'm going to be addressing is what guides our choices when there are no rules to govern our behaviour. When I was 16, I, I told you, most of you know this, I joined the army and I went. the first place I went to was a place called the Army Apprentices School. It's where a bunch of 16, 17 year olds spent two to three years learning one of a variety of trades and how to be a soldier. That's how to be a soldier. Um, how to be a soldier. And as is a tradition in most institutions, every year, the graduating class of that year would have a muck-up day, except in the case of the Army Apprentices School, it wasn't day, it was a night, and it was called Crab Night for some reason. I'll never understand why it was called that. I think there was a tradition called Crab Night, and it wasn't a muck-up, it was more like Lord of the Flies on really dodgy steroids. Lots of bad things happened. As an underclassman, it was the thing that you feared most. You knew that day was coming, and you feared it because you knew what happened. and Bad stuff happened, like all bets were off in this night. Um, The police were involved, the military police were involved. It often made the news. There was a lot of property damage. People were hurt. In some years, people had actually been killed. I mean, what do you expect when a bunch of 16 and 17-year-olds, males, people whose brains aren't fully formed yet are are led to believe that there exists this night where the normal rules and laws that govern society are suspended for the evening. I mean, that's what you get, right? And I know we hear that sort of stuff and we think, well, that's just really dumb, like stupid, who does that? I mean, if I was in that situation, I wouldn't do it, really? I mean, we do know enough about human civilization to know that That's the way we humans tend to go when we think that no one's looking, when there's going to be no consequences to anything. And if you think I'm pushing it, imagine this scenario for a second, just human me. Today we hear an announcement from the New South Wales government that as of midnight tonight, there are no more road rules. We don't have to worry about the signage or the, the street signs. We don't have to worry about traffic lights. We don't have to worry about lines on the road or speed limits or anything like that. It's just, no, no, you just, we trust you. We trust you to just drive. How are you going to drive tomorrow? Now, I know some of you are sitting there now going, there are rules, right? I've seen some of you drive. Yes, there are rules, but all these rules are gone. So how are you going to drive? Now, now most of us would think we're gonna drive sensibly, right? We're going we're all gonna start off a bit like Driving Miss Daisy, but, but after a while, let's be honest, it's gonna get Darwinian out there, isn't it? It's, it's, gonna be, it's gonna be survival of the fittest. Everyone starts off with the best of intentions, but because a few people decide that they're gonna push the limits, before long we've got Mad Max on our hands. Let's step it up a little bit even further then, right? They haven't just abolished the road rules, they've come back to us and they've said, citizenry of New South Wales, We trust you so much because you've managed the lack of road rules so well that we're suspending all laws, all rules. There's no longer any consequences, no policing, nothing. Nothing's gonna happen at all. What is gonna happen then? How are we going to live then? What's gonna guide and drive our behavior from that point on? Now again, most of us would like to think that we are gonna be on our best behavior, that we are always going to do in any and every given situation, what we believe is the right thing to do. But the truth is, as I said, humanity's kind of seen this stuff happen over and over again, and we're told that when that happens, we realise that our civilization has a very thin veneer. That is, we're, not, we're never really too far removed from being the worst version of ourselves, given the wrong set of circumstances or the absence of normal constraints and deterrence. Um, we tend to sort of orient towards things that aren't that great in our behaviour and our choices, that are really quite self-oriented more than anything else. Now, you, again, might be sitting there thinking, well, no, not me, I I don't see myself doing that. But I, I agree with what Alexander Solzhenitsyn said. He said, you know, that line that runs between good and evil and that divides the two, that doesn't run between people groups or political parties or nation states. That line runs right down the middle of each and every one of us. It runs right through the human... Heart. We all have the propensity to be either good or bad depending on the circumstances. Now, there's a bunch of checks and balances that we currently have that deter us and prevent us from doing that. But, but, should, but should it be external laws that actually prevent us from becoming the worst version of ourselves? Now, I get it, right? These are all extreme examples. These are silly. It's, no, it's never going to happen. But this is something that actually plays out pretty regularly. In fact, every day for us in all sorts of ways. There are huge parts of our everyday life where no one is telling us what to do. Um, we're faced with a myriad of choices and its it, they're not choices about good or bad or right or wrong. They're not illegal or moral or unethical. They're just choices that we need to make. And How do we navigate those choices? What guides our choices and behaviours? Well, why am I talking about this? Well, unless you've been living under a rock, you'll know that that pretty soon the current health orders and, and restrictions that we are under in New South Wales, well, they're talking about, these are gonna be started to be eased and lifted and at one point they'll be all gone together, which will be fantastic, except for the fact that we'll probably still be in a pandemic. This COVID thing will still be hanging around and we don't know how long it's gonna hang around for. So the question for us becomes, how are we gonna handle these freedoms? How are we gonna handle these freedoms well? When there are no mandates, when there are no health orders telling us what to do, what's going to guide our decisions and our behaviours so that we live not just as good citizens but we, we actually end up representing Jesus well in all of this as well. And in some ways I wish that this was something that that like the Apostle Paul had had to deal with. I wish it in one way and another way I don't wish it because I wouldn't wish this on, on anyone, but I wish there was a whole a bunch of chapters in like 1 Corinthians that could tell us how to do this sort of stuff well, you know, so, so they've been going through a pandemic and we open up to 1 Corinthians, you know, 240 and it says, you know, in regard to the matter we're all facing, I have these directives for you. And we just go, oh, cool, we just, we just bring that out as a boilerplate and just do what Paul tells us to do. But Paul didn't deal with this and neither did anyone else as far as we can see. But in fact, there's nothing in there that we can look at that, that deals with, dealing with the pandemic and how to actually handle our freedoms well in that. But that doesn't mean we can't learn from what is in here to help us. And there's a bunch of issues that are navigated in the scriptures um, from which we can extrapolate principles that can help us navigate our own situations. And this morning, I want to look at one of those issues and it's found in um, Galatians 5 and the notes are in there but I want to put it in context first just so we're clear that that I'm extrapolating a principle out of this and we're not dealing with the same issue at all. So in Galatians um, chapter 5 Paul has planted this church in Galatia they're people from a pagan background um, and the church is going really really well but now some other people have infiltrated that church and they're what Paul calls Judaizers they're people uh, Jewish people who believe in Jesus, but still think you need to have the law of Moses as well, kind of like as a insurance thing, okay so you get Jesus, but you need to do the law of Moses stuff as well. You need to follow all the laws, particularly the law of circumcision and Paul gets really, really cross about this, and he says to them that he says a couple of really unkind things he said well if you 're going to go circumcision you know, don 't stop there, just, just go cutting everything off it 's pretty crass actually. Okay, but he gets really cross and he says, basically, he says, the minute you start to bring the law into this and say, uh, it's Jesus plus something else, you nullify the gospel. It makes it makes, makes nonsense of, of the gospel. The gospel is about grace through faith, end of, that's, that's it. But the minute you start saying it's Jesus plus something else, you're not dealing with the gospel anymore, okay? It's the whole law. Um, and then he actually says, you know, you want to obey the law? then you have to obey the whole law. You can't just pick and choose which bits serve you. Uh, You've got to actually obey absolutely all of it. So it's either Jesus or the law, not Jesus, and the law. And then he actually goes on and he says this in verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So Paul says in Jesus, we're called to be free. We're free from the stuff of our past that used to bind us. And now we're free from anything in our present that smacks of rules and regulations and laws that tell us that we need to do X, Y, and Z. We need to jump through particular hoops. We need to tick particular boxes in order for us Be saved. So to be clear, Paul is talking about our faith, right? He's not talking about law and rules in general, okay? The Bible's quite clear that we are to be subject to the rules and laws of the land. And if you disagree, just try telling the policeman you're a Christian and see how far that gets you. It'd be like, cool, you're a Christian, but you're a Christian that's under arrest and you're going to jail, right? This is about legalism in our faith, so please don't take this too far. So the question, the issue for then. For them then becomes this. If we don't have to jump through hoops and obey all these laws to be saved then, then how do we live? Then what, what do we do? If there's no rules what do we do? Well the whole thing that's not our issue but it's the same principle right. That's not our particular issue but it is the same principle. When there are no rules governing our choices you know what, what is going to guide our behaviours? So Paul is pretty clear on what he thinks that has to be for them and then by extension us and he says it has to be love. Love has love for others, love for the other has to be the thing that guides and determines the decisions and the choices we make and our behaviours at large. That's the thing that guides us, love. That doesn't mean we don't use our brains and every other available resource that we have to us to make the best decisions that we possibly can, and we'll look at some of that in a sec. But love has to be our guiding principle. Love is the imperative. In fact, Paul says, love is the whole ball game. You know, if you wanna sum up the entire law, all 613 Old Testament laws, it could all be reduced down to this one thing, love your neighbor as yourself. Love must guide our use of freedom. And just in case you're sitting there thinking, that's great, but what does that mean in practice? Well, he actually begins to spell it out for us. He says, as far as freedom goes, love means we are free to do as we should, not free to do as we want. Love means when we are free, it means we are free to do as we should, not free to do simply as we want. He says, use your freedom to serve one another in love, not use your freedom to serve yourself, not use your freedom to demand your rights and your way and to expect the world to bend around you. No, use the freedom that you have to serve one another in love. Freedom doesn't mean that that I am free to do what I want regardless of how my choices and my behaviour impact other people. Even if I'm right, even if it is my right, and we'll look at that in a sec too, why? Because love demands that, that we always consider how our choices and our behavior affect other people. And we act for their good. Now, now this is this is true of us Jesus followers all the time, irrespective of whatever issue we're dealing with. To be honest, we we Jesus followers, we shouldn't need rules and regulations and laws to tell us how to behave, because the greatest law the law of love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and strength and, and love your neighbors yourself. That law apparently is written on our hearts. I mean, that's what Ezekiel says. God says to Ezekiel, I'm not going to write the law on tablets of stone anymore. I'm going to write my law on people's hearts. It's it's not going to be external, extrinsic, extrinsic motivation. There's going to be this intrinsic motivation for people to do the right thing. So so, you know, it's good that we've got laws and everything, but but to be honest, we should be guided by something bigger and better and deeper than simply being told that this is the way we must behave. It should be coming from within. And here's the thing I really want us to get this morning. Because big issues like the one we're dealing with now with around COVID and things like vaccination and that, big issues like that, they always tend to come down to to like where do we, what do we believe? Where do we take, where do, where do we stand? a thing. Like somehow what we believe about something or where we stand on a thing, like that is the most important thing that should define us. And if I want to take everything that Paul says and reduce it down into it, I would say no. Paul Paul actually argues against that. He actually goes on and says, what we believe is nowhere near as important as the way we behave. What we believe is, is nowhere near as important as the way we behave. See, love is always accompanied by a humility always accompanied by humility. They're partners, they, they they go together. Love is never accompanied by pride. Pride, Paul says it best, pride puffs up whereas love chooses to build up. And pride pride causes us to dig in and have a win-lose mentality and pride is really, really self-oriented. But humility frees us to accept that, that we are not an infallible and that we can actually acknowledge that there are there are more important issues than who is right and who's wrong, and we don't have to win. And just as an aside, not every issue is a matter of right and wrong, is it? Sometimes there's a spectrum. Sometimes two people can see two very different truths in a thing and they don't cancel one another out. Not everything's black and white in this world. And no matter how much we pray about a thing, study, feel strongly about it, the best any of us can ever do at at our best is say, look, this... This is the best that i can do right now this this is the best my thinking can can bring about this is the best i can actually bring to the table as far as this thing goes but there always exists the possibility that i could be wrong that's what humility looks like and no amount of dressing up our position in christian lingo can change that now we don't get to play the trump card with people and say you know but i I prayed about it you know I, i prayed about it too and i I've come to a different conclusion than you so what what are we saying here you see how sometimes we can get ourselves trapped but you know we don't get to we don't get to trump arguments by going yeah but I prayed about it well we're all praying about it and we're all coming to different conclusions about things God told me doesn't settle it either and the reason the reason I think that God told me doesn't settle it is because none of us hear perfectly from God do we We're all really imperfect vessels and there's a bunch of filters going on here. So when God does speak to us or wants to show us something and and, and wants to reveal something to us, there's a bunch of filters that are operating there and and it gets kind of polluted along the way. So none of us are are objective to the point that we can just go, yeah, God told me and and I know categorically that's what God's saying. To to the best that I know, I really genuinely believe this is what God is telling me, but humility and love demand me to add "But I, I could be wrong about that as well and we don't get to trot out the I just have to obey my conscience play either I just have to obey my conscience and then therefore the end kind of justifies the means no we don't have to obey our conscience we have to obey Jesus that's a very different thing why because our conscience isn't a gold standard I know we like to think it is but our conscience is not the gold standard it's the best we can do but it's not always accurate and even when it is accurate, it doesn't mean that we get to determine, it doesn't mean we get, get to determine how we get to act, even if we're right. There's this passage in 1 Corinthians 8, and this is where Paul is dealing with an issue like this. And it's the whole issue about meat being sacrificed to idols. And Paul says there's kind of two groups of people here. There, is, there are some people whose conscience will not allow them to eat meat that has been offered to an idol. In, in their mind, and th- as far as their conscience is concerned, it is 100% wrong. You would just never, ever do that. And then there's this other group of people for whom eating meat sacrificed to idols is not a big deal at all. For them, 100%, it is a non-issue. And it's interesting that Paul says that those who think that that eating meat sacrificed to idols is wrong, whose consciences won't allow them to do that, He says they're the ones who've actually got a weak conscience because as far as he's concerned, um, an idol is nothing. There is only one God. An idol is wood or it's stone, it's nothing. So whether meat's been offered to it is a non-event. So he's going, these people are worried about something that's actually not really a thing. They've got a weak conscience in that respect. And and this is a really important thing to understand and I think we gloss over that without understanding the implications of that and that is our conscience is only as good as the information that we feed it. And sometimes the information that we feed our conscience, uh, that we take in, that could be faulty, that could be incomplete, or it could be just plain wrong. Uh, So our consciences could be shaped by things that are actually not accurate. But then he says to the people who, in his estimation, they've got it right. They understand that that's just a piece of wood, a piece of stone, that it's not really a God. and Their conscience allows them to eat meat. He actually says to them, you know, Great, you can eat meat, but but here's the thing: you're right, but you don't get to use your right to just do what you want. It would be better that you don't do it for the sake of those whose consciences are weak and who think it's wrong. So again, you're right. You're allowed to do this. You can. You're free to do this, but don't use your freedom to serve yourself, to suit yourself. Use that freedom that you have to to choose not to eat that meat in order to not be a stumbling block to these brothers and sisters. Do this as an act of an act of love. You can, but it'd be better if you don't. And he puts the whole thing really eloquently. And I love the way that the message translates it in particular. I'm gonna read 1 Corinthians 8 verse one to three. I think it's really important. This question keeps coming up regarding meat that has been offered to an idol. Should you attend meals where where such meat is served or not? We sometimes tend to think we know all we need to know to answer these kinds of questions. Ain't that the truth? But, and I love this, sometimes our humble hearts can help us more than our proud minds. We never really know enough until we recognize that God alone knows it all. I love that. Hey, our humble hearts can help us more than our proud minds. Our humble hearts can help us more than our proud minds. We've all got to make choices about things, we do, it's, it's life. We've all got to make choices, we've all got to make decisions, we've all got to take a stand on things one way or another about what we believe, there's no getting around that. And we need to pray and we need to research and use all the tools and everything we can to, and consult, use whatever gifts and abilities we have to make the best informed decisions we can. But, but, none of us are infallible. And it doesn't matter where we land on an issue or how strongly we believe what we believe. It's how we steward that belief that actually matters more than anything else. How we behave rather than what we believe. We can have our convictions, we need to, but love must guide the way we live them out. And it must guide the way we interact with one another and with other people. See, there is a threat below the threat that Paul brings out there. It's not just about in their situation, meat, and in our situation, COVID and vaccinations or or whatever. It's about the the disunity and the division and the polarisation that can be caused by the threat itself, a byproduct of the threat itself, if you like. And Paul goes from love one another by using your freedom to serve one another to the opposite of what that looks like, and he actually says and tells us what happens when we don't love one another in this, and he goes, if you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. See, love isn't just to guide our actions and our behaviour. It's to permeate our interactions as well. Churches don't have a good record of doing differences well. I don't know if you know that, but I don't know if you've ever seen that or been involved in a good old church dust-up about something really important like paint colour or curtains or worship or you know, some earth-shatteringly big thing like you know, getting new chairs or something like that. But um, things can get pretty ugly pretty quickly. Uh, If you've ever seen it, it it happens. And factions form and sides are drawn and people leave and churches split. All because we disagree about something that's really inconsequential or at at the very best, very, very, very secondary to what's really, really important. It's absolutely crazy. And the reason we get it so wrong is that one, Despite being around Jesus and around church for such a long time, a lot of Christians, you know, we we tend not to be very Christ-like sometimes. And despite having our heads in the Bible and hearing a bunch of sermons, we're, we're mostly emotionally stunted and developmentally stunted. But that's a topic for another day and I'd love to talk about that with you. That's one reason, but the other reason is this. It's because. For some reason, we've, we think that we need to put our beliefs front and centre. And I'm not even talking about our theological beliefs. I'm just talking about our beliefs about anything full stop. We need to put them front and centre and see them as the single most important thing to be protected at all costs And that because it's the thing that holds us all together. That's what we do. We think these beliefs, we don't all believe the same thing. Then what holds us together? It's rubbish. It's not the thing that holds us together. Our unity in Jesus is the thing that holds us together not our beliefs about a whole range of things, it's our unity in Jesus that holds us together. Our unity based on the fact that first and foremost, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, end of. That's how it works. And that's the beauty of the church. The church is a collection of, of a bunch of disparate people, people from all sorts of backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, educational backgrounds, professional backgrounds, postcodes, people who don't all see things the same way, who haven't had all the same experiences in life, who currently don't have all the same standards in life. We're all brought together and we become one body in Jesus, brothers and sisters. If you read Ephesians, this is kind of Paul's big point. God is in the process of summing up all of creation and bringing it together unified in and under the headship of Jesus. The church is meant to be a preview and a foretaste of that oneness that God is going to bring about at the end of the time under Jesus Christ. But the propensity we have for hiving off into factions and sides over so many inconsequential things is ridiculous. This is not new. It's it's existed from the start. Again, Paul had to deal with this in 1 Corinthians 1, 10 to 17. He takes them to task for getting all factional about baptism of all things. Baptism. You know what I mean? They haven't got enough things to, to argue about. They start arguing about who's got a better baptism and and one person says well I follow Paul because you know I was baptized by Paul and another says well I follow Peter because I was baptized by Peter another says well I follow Apollos I mean this is just mental right and Paul says to them is Christ divided was Paul crucified for you were you baptized in the name of Paul the answer to that of course is no Paul didn't die for you. You were not baptised into the name of Paul. Jesus died for you and you were baptised into the name of Jesus. Jesus is the central thing. Jesus is the thing we all have in common. Jesus is the thing that brings us together and Jesus is the thing that holds us together. That's the starting point for everything else. So I don't care if we don't see eye to eye on other stuff. That's all secondary. And there's a, there is room and grace um, and generosity for us being able to see a whole bunch of things are a whole different way. That's absolutely fine. That's not the stuff that unites us. That's not the stuff that our unity is based on. Jesus is, and that's all there is to it. Me and my staff, right, we don't all agree about everything. Me and my elders, we don't all see things the same way. But that's okay, because we're all agreed about what is truly important and what is essential. And then there is grace and generosity for the rest. Because you know what, we're all humble enough to realize we don't know it all. Maybe we have got it wrong and we can talk and we can discuss and we can listen to one another. That's how it's supposed to be. Amy-Jule Levine, who is a Jewish atheist Old Testament professor, put that on your business card, Jewish atheist um, Old Testament professor. She's actually really, really insightful, it's great. But she was asked as a Jewish person, how is it that you, Jew, you Jews, you, you're able to like, you, you fight like cats and dogs sometimes over the interpretation of, of your, your scriptures, right? What, what it means and everything. But at the end of the day, you're like, once you finish fighting all of that, you, you walk out arm in arm and it's, it's like it never happened. She said well that's that's easy because at the end of the day irrespective of how we see things we're all jewish that's the thing that binds us together and she said you know if christians understood their baptism better that would be the same for us too we would realize it's not it's not our agreement about everything else it's not our complete 100 percent alignment uh in terms of our doctrine and our theology and all of that that it's our baptism one lord one faith one baptism that's the thing that binds us together. We're able to see things differently and hold really strong convictions about a whole range of things. But, but the bottom line is you and I are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We are part of the same church. We are united in him. And that matters more than anything. And please remember this, just as a, just as a practical matter. When we're dealing with issues, remember that we're not dealing with positions, we're dealing with people. Right? We're dealing with people. Don't don't fall into the trap of of just homogenizing everything in the sense that you know you're either pro-vaccination or anti-vaccination, and therefore everyone who gets vaccinated or agrees with it, you know, they all believe the same thing as much as people who don't get vaccinated believe the same thing. Again, it's a spectrum. We're, we're individuals. We've got our own reasons and our own stories for taking those positions. We can't just be grouped into these two. Homogeneous groups—it doesn't work like that. There's spectrums of, of beliefs and, and understanding in all of this. And please don't depersonalise people by describe when we talk about them by describing them um, using third-person pronouns like he, she, or they. You know that that really does depersonalise people. We go, well, they believe this and they believe that, and he's one of them and she's one of that. No, no, no. When we're talking about each other, we've got names. It's Adrian. It's Dylan. It's Ruben. It's isabel it's heather it's kira we have names don't depersonalize people by using third person pronouns it just goes a long way to help us remember who we're dealing with this is a person uh, beyond just a person this is my brother and sister in christ and that's how we're able to have those conversations things like vaccinations and mandates are polarizing our already polarized world even more and churches too and it doesn't have to it mustn't we can all have our beliefs and our convictions, we just need to steward them well. We don't have to see things the same way to be together. We just have to be loving, we have to be practical, and I accept that that's not always an easy thing to do. And how we navigate this next phase in this pandemic, it doesn't have to be a zero-sum game where there are one side wins and the other side loses. We're all on the same side, we just see things very differently. And we need to let love be our guiding principle and practice in the way we deal with things and maintain the unity that we already have. And it is that easy and it is that hard. Because when we say love, we're like, what's, yeah, that's a bit, how do you get your, what does that even mean? How do you get your hands around that? How does that, how's that practical? Well, love's not as squishy as it, as it seems. As, as Hannah pointed out when she preached in about five or six weeks ago, she said, love looks like something. This lands places, this takes on concrete form and we have to be able to and be prepared and able to do the hard work that is necessary for us to discern what love looks like in a variety of situations because, yeah, love looks like something but it doesn't always look like the same thing, you know? We're dealing with a range of issues here and wouldn't it be, it'd be so much easier if we just had a boilerplate or we had a template or we had you know, just a, a, list, a list of things that we could just you know, overlay on, on it? But, but things are so diverse and, the, and each situation presents its own challenges that we have to stop and we have to think about what does love look like in this situation? How do we navigate this situation, this tension in love? That's a lot of work in that because there's going to be a lot of situations we have to navigate. so much easier if it was all just black and white rules for everyone and yeah you know this 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 whole time it's been hard and it's not going to necessarily get any easier as much as we're excited about coming back that's going to throw up a whole range of new issues for us to have to deal with but but the upside in all of this is that that we're getting to use muscles we haven't had to use for a very long time if ever I mean church has been the sort of thing that we go to and we do and we just kind of cruise along because everything just does. Everything just goes along as per normal. Well that normal's been completely disrupted and now we've been put into a situation where we've got to navigate things we never had to navigate before. We've got to really think them through, we've got to pray them through, and we've got to be on our best, you know, our best behaviour in trying to do this. We're gonna this is a great opportunity for us to, to to use muscles we've never had to use before. We're in uncharted waters and we have no maps, but we have the Spirit of God who dwells in us, the same Spirit of God who dwells in us all, who has promised to lead us and to guide us in this. And beyond that, we're told, pours out his love into our hearts. So we're not being told to do this alone. We can be led by the Spirit of God and filled with the love we need by the Spirit of God enabled to navigate this really well. We don't have to have it all worked out. We just all need to commit to doing it as well as we possibly can, amen. Well, thank you. Right now we're gonna go into a time of communion, so hopefully you'll have your stuff ready at home. Take some time now to think about that. Take some time to just do some business with God, to look at the example of Jesus who willingly gave up all his rights to serve us and allow that truth to permeate our own spirit today to really touch us and to, and to pray, God, help us to be like Jesus as we navigate this way forward. Amen.